Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What is up, Fight Fans? Another edition of Inside Boxing Live. We are back in your life. I am your host, Dan Canobio, and we have a great show for you today. Joining us on the program, the Latin Snake, Sergio Moro. You can catch him on the zone, get his thoughts on some of the biggest fights that are upcoming. Also joining us on the program today, a voice you haven't heard in quite a while, but I know that you want to hear from, Jim Lampley joins us. He'll tell us what's been going on in his life uh, since HBO closed up shop. Two great guests uh, coming up in a little bit. As for the fights this weekend, there were dueling cards. Uh, ESPN had their top rank with Gvazdik fighting uh, in his fight at 175 pounds over on DAZN. You saw Ryan Garcia headlining a card. He won in spectacular fashion, but we'll take a look at this Vazdik fight. Um, he took out his opponent. Very strange. I don't know what the heck happened there with the, the calf injury. It was a, a blowout to begin with at the time of the stoppage in the fifth round. Vazic had a, a 48 to 17 edge in, in total connects. He was cruising along. He keeps his name in the 175 division. Taking a look at the 175 pound weight class right now, it's a little, uh, you know, you got four different champs, of course, and four different fighters that haven't really separated themselves from the pack. Uh, obviously, uh, Bilval is the only fighter not with ESPN, uh, a fighter that uh, many think that he is the best of the bunch, but I wouldn't sleep on, on Sergey Kovalov, and you have to also keep in mind. Uh, Marcus Brown is in the picture, and Gilberto Ramirez is moving up from 168 uh, to 175 to get into the picture. As for Ryan Garcia over on the zone, uh, the Instagram superstar starting to do some work with his fists as well. Uh, had a second round uh, KO of Jose Lopez, who was supposed to be a step up in competition. Garcia took him out. Uh, afterwards, Garcia has now been uh, really good with these post-fight interviews. He called out Mayweather. He had Canelo in the ring, which I think is an awesome friendship that we're seeing right before our eyes. I'll tell you what about Ryan Garcia. Like the kid. and I think he's a good fighter, and I think he brings a different set of eyeballs, a different set of, of fans. There was screaming girls. There are, Go to Ryan Garcia's Instagram. Go to his comment section. Take a look at the people that are commenting on his, on his videos and his posts. Besides ton of teenage girls there's athletes there's prominent actors there's hollywood types the guy brings a different set of eyeballs to the sport and that's certainly a good thing he called out uh, uh jonathan davis you got tevin farmer here's the you know, look at the champions at uh, at 130 i don't know if he fought this fight at 135 but if should he go down to 130 because it seems like those are the champions he's calling out for some reason a fight that can be made within the zone uh framework could be Tevin Farmer, but this Javante Davis thing isn't going to go away. They're both kind of using each other's names to get notoriety, especially on Twitter. That's how that works. And did you see this over the weekend before we get to our interviews? David Price, uh, heavyweights. Uh, the heavyweight division right now is making a lot of uh, headlines. We'll get to the later that uh, in, in case you missed it. But David Price got bit four times in his fight with Cash Ali. I mean, it hurts me to use the name Ali and, and a coward, but Cash Ali... Uh, bit David Price four times, and this is something that made headlines everywhere. I saw it on the New York Post, you know, I saw it on Deadspin, I saw it in, in places that don't traditionally cover boxing, and it's never a good thing when you see a boxing headline 
outside of the boxing blogs because it's usually something crazy. It's either you know Pulev kissing a reporter or you got Cash Ali biting uh, David Price. Not only that is when Ali had to be taken out of the arena, he was getting just doused with beers, and it led me to believe that the beer prices over in the UK can't be as high as they are here in the US because they were throwing everything they had at him, rightfully so. So I don't know what's going on with that. But we're going to get to our interviews now. I'm going to talk to Sergio Moore on the Latin Snake. Great broadcaster. And then we're also going to hear from Jim Lampley. Uh, I know a lot of people are thinking he's going to get back into the broadcast booth. Will he? Will he not? You're going to have to take a listen. Uh, let's first let's start off with Sergio Mora, uh, the Latin Snake. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. All right, we're excited for our next guest here on Inside Boxing Live. You can catch him on The Zone. He's a uh, ringside analyst, and you might be able to catch him in the ring one last time. Of course, I'm talking about the Latin snake, Sergio Moore, and he joins us right now here on Inside Boxing Live. What's up, Sergio? Appreciate you uh, taking some time to hop on with us. Yeah, I appreciate being on. Anytime. So uh, you were out in, in, in California for this card on, on Saturday night. I know you uh, weren't actually calling the fights, but they brought you in. But you were ringside. You saw Ryan Garcia in there quickly. What did you think about uh, his performance? I think they're moving him up properly. I mean, he, he, he struggled a little bit with the two veterans they put him in against uh, in 10-round decisions, and that's uh, Carlos Morales and Vincent Velez. Mm-hmm. These are two gritty fighters uh, with, with, a, with a background, amateur background as well. So he didn't really struggle. He just actually evolved. And now when they put him in, they're putting him in against other opposition that should give him trouble, they're not anymore because he already went through that experience and he's taking him out. I thought it was a, a great performance on his part. Uh, he looked like a mini Oscar De La Hoya with the girl screaming. Yeah. Uh, he did exactly what he needed to do, and I loved the the, the ring song that he came out to. Yeah, so you tweet uh, that. that. If you are, oh, yeah, it was just all perfect, and it was it all worked out well for him. I mean, he's a superstar in the making. Yeah, I, I just prevented you from singing on the podcast. Was that a good or a bad thing? I'm sorry. I said I just prevented you from singing those lyrics. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> no, yeah, we got a limited time. I was going to sing them too, but they're horrible. <laughs> uh, so uh, it seems like you're really enjoying your, your time here with the Zone. Uh, I think I speak for a lot of boxing fans out there when I say that you're doing a really good job. Uh, you know, great reviews on Twitter. If uh, if that means anything to you, how are you, are you enjoying uh, your time calling fights for uh, the Zone? No, I'm lo- I'm loving it. I really am because I'm visiting different cities, and then uh, you know after I'm done working, I, I got I get to enjoy the different cities as well. So. Uh, it's a little, it's a, it's a lot of work and a little vacation. Uh, they, I love the people I work with. I'm getting to know everybody. Uh, the chemistry that I'm, I'm building with the different personalities on air at, at first was kind of rough, but I'm, I'm getting the, the hang of it. And as far as the, 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 the feedback I've been getting, it's mostly all positive, which is scary. You know, I need some negativity. <laughs> Especially with the boxing world, too. I feel like everyone has an excuse, uh, an opinion. Everyone, you know, there's so much negativity uh, in boxing Twitter. But So it is it is refreshing, I'm sure, for you to, to get those great reviews, right? Oh, no, it's very refreshing. And like I said, it's unheard of. I'm, I'm used to getting passed on Twitter as a boxer. And as an analyst, it's the opposite. But uh, a couple of uh, negative comments in there I would love to hear. So <laughs> for, your pe- for your people listening, uh, pick out anything and 
give me something negative so I can uh, work on. <laughs> now you talk about working with all these different uh, personalities. That is that is tough. I've called a few fights. You have to build up a rapport. I mean, they put you in there with Brian Kenny. Now now they got Chris Mannix in the booth. You worked also with, with Sugar Ray Leonard. And I know you do a lot of work with. Um, what, um, he's, I'm Todd Grisham. Grisham. Yeah, how can I forget Todd Grisham's name? Uh, Todd Grisham. So, I mean, they're really rotating it in there. It's kind of could be kind of tough for an analyst, no? No, it's very tough. And not only that, but uh, I did a, a May 4th thing with Jay Adams as well. Oh, so man. you go from Brian King going 100 miles an hour because I mean, his mind works so fast and so sharp. 100 miles an hour. And then you go into, like, boxing trivia with Chris Mannix where he, <laughs> like, he – uh, he throws curveballs at you with statistics and 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 the fighter's background, and I'm like, okay. And then and then we go light lightly with Todd Grissom because he, he comes from a kickboxing MMA world yeah. uh, and boxing as well. So then it's more lighthearted and and fun and witty. So a little bit of everything. I just got to stay on my toes and and deal with the personality because I can't. I can't be like I am with Todd Grissom with Brian Kenny because I'll get fired. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. I, I've hung out with Grissom. He's a wild man. But it's, oh, it's almost like boxing, though. It's almost like you know all these different styles out there. So you got to like you know adapt uh, to the different styles. But let's talk about some fights here upcoming. Big fight on the zone May fourth weekend. Uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend's always been a big weekend for fights. We got uh, Canelo and uh, Danny Jacobs. You shared a ring with Danny Jacobs, and you know, that was a really exciting fight. Uh, how do you uh, or how are you uh, thinking this fight's gonna go down? The first one was exciting. The second one, I'm glad you didn't bring it up. All oh, right, yeah, two fights. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think Danny, Danny Jacobs is going to give him a tough time, not only because of his size alone, but his amateur pedigree. Anytime you got have a guy with that much of an amateur background, he's going to be tough as a as a professional, especially if, if he's already been through the tough times like, like Danny has. He's been knocked out. He's been hurt. He's been dropped. He's been uh, in close decisions. So these are all things that mature you as a as an all-around champion. And he's, he's already weathered all that. He's already matured through all that. So now he can handle a superstar like Canelo. Canelo's been fighting since he was 16 years old. He turned professional at 16. So he was already past all that by the time he turned 20. Right. He, he was already weathered and, and, and ready for the big dogs and the big names. And that's the reason he's, he's been precocious his entire career. I, I think he's going to have trouble. I, we see the later rounds. I could see this fight going into the 10th, 11th round. Uh, of course, I got to edge out Canelo. He has better technique towards the end. Danny Jacobs uh, seems to uh, kind of check this seems in his technique the more tired he gets. But with the confidence and uh, maybe the, the, the nutrition that he's been going through now, uh, he makes weight a lot different now. He's not struggling. Maybe that would make him go to the finish line with a lot more strength. But either way, I think Canelo wins. It's going to be a difficult fight for him. I see Canelo getting hurt. So that right there, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much guaranteeing. Jacobs yeah. is too powerful for, for anybody or anything that weighs 160. So Canelo getting hurt, but ultimately overcoming it in an exciting fight that goes 10, 11 rounds. Well, wow. I mean, there's a few things I took away from what you just said, and, and that's something I haven't really thought about, the, fa- the fact that Jacobs has been in, in there with Triple G. That was a huge fight. He's been a part of some big fights. Obviously, Canelo has been a part of some big fights. I don't think the stage uh, is going to be too big uh, for either guy, which should lead to a really good fight. How about this notion that's out there, that this fight goes the distance, Canelo's going to win no matter what because, you know, the judging. We've seen some less than, uh, we've seen some 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 cards for Canelo that have uh, could go either way. So the notion out there that this fight goes the distance, it's 100% going to be won by Canelo Alvarez. Hey, listen, you didn't hear me say the distance or the 12th round. I know, you did, I you did say 10th or 11th. Yeah, because I think Danny Jacobs and his team knows that. 
and they if they know it's it's a it's a competitive fighter he might be down one or two rounds going into the championship rounds he's going to have to go for the knockout and by doing that he's going to expose himself to a knockout or getting hurt or or something like that so i i just don't i don't think it goes the distance cuz he uh, Danny Jacobs has that in mind and Canelo is just going to be himself try to finish it every round that's the reason i see these these two fighters colliding and uh, excitement and fireworks because the size alone, I'm telling you, when, when they get in the middle of the ring and they face off right before the first bell rings, people are going to be like, whoa, yeah. look at how much bigger Danny Jacobs is. And that's when you start giving him some, uh, uh, some credit. No, you're right. Because I was at the, the press conference in New York when they announced the fight or they had their first press conference, the first leg of a three-city tour. And that was the first time I've seen them uh, in person do a face-off. And I was like, well, just like you just said, my first reaction was, wow, Jacobs is so much bigger uh, than Canelo, but we also saw, not that I'm saying that Rocky Fielding is on the same level as, as Danny Jacobs, but you know Rocky Fielding was even bigger than Jacobs, and we saw Canelo hammer the body. So I do agree with you there that late we can see Canelo go to the body uh, and kind of take slow down uh, uh, um, Danny Jacobs. But moving forward here, some other huge fights on the zone. June 1st, MSG, that's just going to be off the chain, I think, uh, with Anthony Joshua uh, and Jarrell Miller. How does Jarrell Miller have a chance in this fight? I think so many people obviously think, uh, and, and rightfully so, that Joshua is the, the favorite. Give me a, a, a game plan for, for Miller to win this fight. I don't think whatever we think matters to have big baby Miller. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still confident. I've already called two of his fights and his uh, pre-fight post uh, uh, <laughs> interviews. They're just they're entertaining, they're introspective, they're, they're, they're hilarious, but he says the right things. He's a self-promoter, but the guy's been passing every test. He's undefeated. Uh, he hasn't faced opposition that Joshua has. He's not the, the puncher that Joshua is, so that's the reason Anthony Joshua's a favorite here. But don't look past uh, Miller giving him a hard time. Miller has some fast feet. When I watch him, when, when I watch him fight, he's kind of like an outside linebacker because he's massive up yeah. top. But he has really fast and sneaky feet and, and fast hands. So um, I, I could see him giving him some, some trouble with speed and movement. And he could take a punch. Baby uh, Miller could take a punch as well. And we know he's confident. Uh, I, I really, really like that fight. It's going to be in uh, Big Baby Miller's backyard in New York. And I always love when a champion, especially a heavyweight champion, goes across the world to fight other champions in their hometown because that's how it was in the in the old days, in the great days, you know, the great days of, of heavyweight championship boxing and Muhammad Ali, you know, going going to other people's countries and fighting. I mean, that's that's legacy. That's history. Mm-hmm. And for Anthony Joshua to do that, it just shows how great he wants to really become and, and be in the long run. How do you rank the heavyweights right now? There's uh, so many good uh, – it's kind of top-heavy. I mean, there's three, three kings right now in Wilder, Fury, and uh, Joshua. How do you rank those three? I, I like Joshua all around at number one, uh, Wilder at number two, and Fury at number three. Um, but it, you can mix and match anything you want as far as as far as far who has more. I think the biggest puncher is Wilder and at number one, and I think the most creative puncher is Fury, and, and, and Joshua's at the end of that list. So you can mix and match, match them in, in different categories, and, and you'll have uh, one, two, and three separately. But ultimately, I think Joshua has, has uh, fought better fighters, I think he's weathered the storm a lot better when he's hurt, and uh, that—that's what I like seeing in a in a champion. You know, peeling yourself up the canvas, fighting through through uh, through cuts, fighting when you're behind on the cards, and being able to win. And and then also he has a gold medal. So I always 
the amateur pedigree is so important as a professional fighter. And he has that gold medal yeah. around his neck. And so I, I got to give him the number one spot. You know, it's funny. Someone asked me recently, like, you know, how would you rate the heavyweights? The same question I asked you. And I was thinking, obviously, like, you know, Anthony Joshua, to me, I feel like it's the most well-rounded of the three. But if there's one thing... When I think of Anthony Joshua, I'm trying to figure out what he does, like what separates him from the other heavyweights. There isn't something that jumps off off the, uh, you know, right off to me because he has good power, but he's not known as like a huge puncher. I think his defense is something that separates him, uh, Anthony Joshua. He's a very, uh, you know, low key good defense. I think that will come in hand if these do, if they ever fight. Do you think he's ever going to fight? Like, what's going on with this, with the politics and everything? It's. Yes, he does have defense, but I think uh, on top of that, it, it's technique. He has pretty, he has good technique. He doesn't like to mix it up unless he knows he can handle the other guy's power and strength. But above all that, he's resilient. I mean, I've seen him hurt several times already. Uh, we've seen him hurt several times already, and and he passes the test with flying colors. He even he does it with a chip on his shoulder, you know, with a smile and a wink, and he goes in and he goes for the knockout after he's he's, he's done with with uh, the cowhips and all that so that's what's impressive about him he, he has defense he has the technique he knows how to maneuver around the ring when hurt and he knows how to take you out once that hurt is passed so he's resilient he's, he's a he's going to be very difficult to beat yeah the same I thing i think the same thing you can that. say for wilder um his resiliency is something he doesn't get a lot of, enough credit for too when wilder fought ortiz he was you know out on his feet in those middle rounds and he came back uh to, to beat ortiz i think that that's the fight that's the fight fans want to see. That's the fight that I think will, you know, get a lot of buzz in the heavyweight division. Obviously, and that's Joshua and Wilder. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, and I agree that that uh, Wilder has proven that he can pass the test when he's hurt as well. Because yes, he's been hurt. Uh, I would say three times, not only with Ortiz, not only with Fury, but earlier in his amateur career coming up as well. So yes, he's passed the test as well. But but here's the difference: the technique. We've seen yeah. Wilder's technique. Even when he's not hurt, it's not all that great. And ultimately, in the, in the end, the fighter with a better technique it, uh, lasts the distance. And I'm, just, I'm not just talking about 12 rounds. I'm talking about in a career. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's why I edge out Joshua over Wilder. I'll tell you what. If you put all three of these fighters together, you have an unbeatable heavyweight. Yeah, you really do. If you have you, f- really you know, do, but that's, right. but that's how it is. That's boxing. I mean, look at when you know the four great fighters, the, the, the fabulous four, right. and Hagler, Duran, Landon Hearns, I mean, they all beat each other because they all had something that the other didn't. You seem like you're a big boxing historian. Do you just eat, sleep, and breathe boxing 24-7? Do you find yourself watching fights, you know, on ESPN and Showtime and all the other ones? Or there's another question for you. When you watch these fights now that you're a broadcaster, do you find yourself looking at the production and, and following along with the broadcasters? Well, now that I'm actually broadcasting, don't tell nobody, but I've been preparing to be a broadcaster even when i was a, a professional fighter really i would listen uh, yeah I, I would listen to uh you know i would get pieces from c farhood pieces from from uh, uh brian canny pieces from joe tessito brian custer and then Paulie monaji became the man and then i noticed okay what works what doesn't work when you, you talk too much doesn't work we try to be too too uh too much of a boxer and then technique it doesn't work you got to balance a little bit of everything so Yes, I've been I've been watching and preparing for for a post boxing career uh, for a while, quite some time now. No, did you what broadcast work did you do before the zone? I remember you being on some calls. I did, man. I went. I go way back with yeah. uh, Joe Testator. Yeah, Brian ESPN, Kenny, right? Uh, Friday night fight, Friday night fights in uh, two thousand five. Before that, I would do these smaller shows on on um, very small shows with Steve Kim and Doug Fisher. Wow. They were aired in Russia and they were aired like in like cable TV or something like that. Wow. But I would do these smaller shows, and then of course FS1 with PVC, 
and uh, with versus, and then I'm a contender. I I, I really got camera camera savvy. Yeah, the contender was. I mean, that's what got you on the map, and that's what kind of like you know they allowed you to talk more on the contender. That was a really good series. Do you feel like I feel like they? I think they did bring it back. They brought it back on 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 Epics. Uh, what do you think of that contender series and uh, with that show on Epics? Well, I look. Uh, I hate to say that I didn't. I, I didn't really like or I didn't really vouch for contender two, three, and four, but I really didn't. I only vouched for my season, which was the best season, yeah. and this last season, number five, was awesome. It's just too bad that a lot of people didn't get to watch it because a lot of people don't have the channel Epics. Right. But it was such a great, great series, and and the fights were so. I mean, they were better than my season one, and the fighters were a lot. You know, they were different because they knew what to expect. We didn't know what to expect. It was the first time boxing's been on a reality show. These guys got to see five, four different seasons of it, yeah. so they got to kind of like mold the character they wanted to be. So yeah, and add social media. Everyone's a tough guy on social media. Yeah, Everyone's a star. Twitter. They call it Twitter media. fingers, right? There you go. So yeah, it was it was really a great season. I'm hoping for a season six. Another thing with the contender, it was a precursor to what the UFC did. UFC, you know, did their own thing. It kind of like set the set the tone early. You were part of that first season, and, and now we see it almost everywhere in every in in all forms of, of of combat sports. Before we let you go, we got to talk about your own return. I know you uh, tweeted this out that you want to step in there one more time. You see a lot of fighters don't get to go out on top, or you know, we just saw last or two weeks ago with Lamont Peterson with his retirement. That was a beautiful moment. Any updates on the Latin Snake getting in the ring one more time? I have, well, actually, I was already in training for a fight April 20th. I was uh, scheduled to fight April 20th in uh, StubHub uh, in a 10-rounder. I don't even want to say the guy, but he's a well-known uh, Latino fighter. Really? Uh, I was going to fight him, but I pulled out of it because it's just too much traveling with the zone. I wasn't going to have a proper camp, and I was already uh, questioning my, my abilities, whether I can go in there 100%. I can't cheat the sport, or the sport will turn it against me, so I decided to pull out of the fight. If I don't fight by July, August, then it's a career for me. Um, but ultimately, I would love to say goodbye to the sport in a proper way, knowing that it's my last fight. You know, you want to say goodbye. You yeah. want to say goodbye to something that's treated you like shit for the last 23 years. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to do it in the California, right? It makes sense to do it in from your hometown? <laughs> I don't care where it's at. Okay. I just want to say goodbye. In a proper way. All right. I enjoyed talking to you, Sergio. You're a great broadcaster, great fighter. If you don't step in there again, you had an outstanding career going all the way back uh, to your amateur career up to the contender and, and fighting uh, world world titles. I mean, you had a great career, and I look forward to seeing your ringside, too, as we continue this uh, broadcasting career, man. It's awesome stuff. Appreciate you uh, taking some time to hop on with us. I appreciate you, and anytime you uh, want to do this, I'm in. All right. Sergio Mora, thank you so much, man. You got it. Bye. Now, it's been a few weeks since we did an In Case You Missed It segment, but we're back, and there is a lot of news to get to. Arguably the biggest news in boxing right now happened outside of the ring, believe it or not, and it's this Kubrat Pulov, Jenny Sushi situation. Uh, there's a lot of opinions online right now. If you look on Twitter, uh, you'll get a broad range of everything on what they think uh, happened there. But one thing we do know that happened is Kubrat Pulov kissed Jenny Sushi on the face, on the mouth, and uh, it's pretty clear she didn't want that kiss. Um, who knows if they if they knew each other beforehand, if they know each other afterwards. I feel like there's new details emerging on a daily basis. There's videos coming out. And we know that she hired high-powered attorney uh, Gloria Aldred, who has been a part of a lot of these types of situations and these cases. Um, I don't know if she wants money out of uh, Pulev. I've read a report that she might want him just to be suspended. I think he's temporarily suspended 
by the uh, California uh, Commission. And this is this is like a very fluid situation, but one thing we do know, and one thing that I want to get out of the way right away is that Pulev was in the wrong for kissing uh, Jenny Sushi uh, without her consent. I think everyone can agree on that. It's what's happening afterwards that's up for debate. There's videos coming out of her afterwards at a, at a party with them. I mean, we don't know exactly the details of it, and I don't need to know the details of it because I'm not part of, of this case, but it sheds light on a lot of things that go on in, in the world of boxing, in, in journalism, and on who they let in uh, to these events. There's a lot of things that are going on in the situation, and uh, one thing we know for sure or we don't know for sure, actually, is that uh, Pulev, where's his next fight going to be? Maybe he stays overseas. This was his first fight uh, in the U.S. on ESPN with Top Rank, and then now Top Rank has to deal uh, with this entire situation. So one thing we do know is that uh, Pulev is uh, in some deep trouble. Will we see how everything transpires afterwards? And I'm sure you're going to see a lot more of these discussions on Twitter, which has been a uh, dumpster fire, uh, to say the least, when it comes to this. Moving forward here, in case you missed it, Bob Arum. Uh, says a lot of things. Bob Arum says that Heyman versus uh, uh, Heyman and Wilder were correct to refuse the zone deal. Now I understand uh, Arum's line of thinking here, where he thinks Wilder can make more money uh, if this fight was a joint pay per view. What I kind of don't 100% agree with with the Bob Father is that he thinks that this fight can do two million buys. I mean, Wilder and and Fury. I think did 350,000 buys or around that general area. So you're telling me that in a year from now or six months from now, the fight will jump from 350K buys to 2 million just because of the ESPN getting behind Tyson Fury? I mean, what can they possibly do? They can give him another interview. They can do a feature on him. They can put him on SportsCenter. That's going to make it go from 350 to 2 million? I mean, I, I just don't understand that, that line of thinking. I don't think that there's any fights that right now on the table that can do 2 million. I think the, the heavyweights are the only ones that can get maybe over a million. Look at Canelo and Triple G, uh, two of the arguably the, the, the most uh, popular fighters in the world. At their heights uh, two years ago, their first fight did, what, 1.5? I guess the heavyweights could do something around there, but 2 million is a really big number. I hope it happens. I really do hope it happens, but I don't think that uh, it could possibly jump to that number by just being uh, getting ESPN behind uh, T- Tyson Fury, who was already well-known uh, outside of the U.S. and inside the U.S. Speaking of Tyson Fury, he'll be fighting. This is announced. He's going to be fighting Tom Schwartz. Tyson Fury will be fighting Tom Schwartz June 15th on ESPN. Yeah, moving forward. Finally... We got some reports here, some sources. Coppinger, hashtag Coppinger, hashtag sources. Spence Garcia does 350K buys. That is a great number in today's uh, current landscape. Uh, scape. Huge props to Fox Sports and uh, their promotional machine. They did a hell of a job uh, getting this fight out there. It was on you know, college basketball. It was on their MLB shows. It was literally everywhere, all over the place. Everyone was talking about uh, Spence and and Garcia a fight that no one really even wanted or people said there was going to be a mismatch when the fight was made it turned into a fight where everyone had to tune in on fight night you saw Errol Spence going back to even November he was on the field at the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving Day uh, 30 million people watched that game on Thanksgiving Day you had Errol Spence out right there that just shows you what Fox is going to do it shows me a lot of things actually it shows that there's going to be a lot more pay-per-views. There are going to be a lot more pay-per-views this year. I know that the zone said the, this is the, the death of pay-per-view. Not going to be the case because as we see, as we record today, Mike Coppinger, hashtag sources, says that, uh, Errol, uh, says that Keith Thurman 
and Manny Pacquiao are, are in advance talks for a July 13th pay-per-view clash. Uh, that one, I think, makes a lot of sense. But all in all, I do not think we are going to see the end of, of pay-per-view. we got a big pay-per-view fight coming up April 20th. That's ESPN's first uh, pay-per-view. Well, not their first pay-per-view. They did one a few years back. But it's their first big pay-per-view, and that's going to be Terrence Crawford versus Amir Khan. And that's another thing with these, with the, all these pay-per-views is if we want to see Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford, you know, part of this is going to be that negotiation because this is going to be a split pay-per-view between uh, two different broadcast par- uh, partners. We already saw what Errol Spence did. Uh, 47,000 fans in attendance. A lot of that had to do with Mikey Garcia. I understand that. Uh, but 350K buys for Errol Spence. He's going to bring that to the negotiation table. What is Terrence Crawford going to bring to the negotiation table? What type of numbers is Terrence Crawford and Amir Khan going to do? Uh, that's another thing uh, to keep an eye on if you're into the business side of boxing. But that has been this week's In Case You Missed It. Our next guest here on Inside Boxing Live, I think you're going to be very excited to hear his voice. For over 25 years, he called fights on HBO Boxing. Of course, I'm talking about the esteemed Mr. Jim Lampley, and he joins us right now. Jim, I think uh, I speak for a lot of boxing fans when I say you're missed. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm watching boxing matches as a boxing fan, Uh, and uh, of course... Keeping up with things in the rest of our world at large, uh, getting a little bit of a momentary break from the constant travel schedule and the constant research work involved in boxing. I feel like I don't know anything about boxing at this moment because I certainly haven't paid the kind of attention for the past several weeks that was the case for uh, the 33 years prior to that, but uh but looking forward to continuing to watch what's going on in the increasingly proliferating landscape of television boxing. I'll tell you, I'll give you an update on some things that are going on in boxing. Heavyweights are not fighting each other. Uh, a lot of the biggest fights are still not being made. Uh, there are some fights that happen occasionally, and there's a lot of chirping going on on Twitter. So that's like an update of the last couple of months that's been going on in the world of boxing. I'm actually hoping to go to the... Uh, fight between Anthony Joshua and Big Baby Miller. Uh, I think it's an interesting tactical matchup, and uh, obviously it's a uh, a fight that Joshua has to win to continue his eminence uh, at at the top of the division. And while the rest of us wait for one of the uh, the larger fights to be made, now is DeZone, uh inviting you to that fight, Jim? Uh, well, I haven't spoken to anybody at the zone i'm um making contact through a different channel so i could not honestly say that i am planning to be a guest of the zone i you know i will see their people uh if i happen to be close enough to the ring to to wave at them (laughs) i think you'll have a good seat uh when's the last time you went to a fight and like as a fan you know as a spectator i know there's the the story of your of your uh of going to muhammad ali fight way back in the day, but when's the last time you actually went to it in your professional broadcasting career, sat at a, at a fight and were not, was not calling it? Um, you know, I can remember a few fights that I went to as a fan during my commentary career. Uh, <clears throat> for instance, I, I remember I was in London to do something and uh, went to Vitaly Klitschko versus Herbie Hyde. Oh, wow. Uh, it was the first time I'd seen Vitaly up close. 
and uh, he erased Hyde with a punch that traveled about four inches. Uh, and I and I remember saying to myself, "Well, he has that. He ha- he has that part of the game. That's for sure." Um, and you know, there've been there've been others through the years. Uh, I can remember going to a a James Tony fight as a fan in Los Angeles, uh, but not a lot. And, and, and you know, I I would I wouldn't say there are dozens and dozens. Uh, I just remember a few isolated experiences here and there when I was uh, in the stands uh, watching a fight. Uh, there was a Kelly Pavlik fight uh, in in the Honda Center uh, on Boxing After Dark back when uh, when uh, Bob Papa was right. calling Boxing After Dark and I was not. So I've had a few here and there, but uh, it's not all that frequent an experience, and I'm kind of looking forward if it does take place. I, I do expect to be in New York on that date, uh, so I'm thinking that maybe maybe I can work it out to uh, to get to the fight. That'd be awesome. I think a lot of fans will be happy to see you uh, ringside. Uh, do you miss calling fights? I have to ask you that question. Do you miss being there ringside calling fights? Oh, absolutely. Sure. It was a, a natural part of my life for a long time, and uh, you know I took a, a great deal of pride and pleasure in calling the fights uh, and uh, you know, until a month or two before HBO's departure from boxing, I, you know, wasn't in a position really to see that coming. So, yeah, I, I definitely miss uh, doing the work and calling fights. And, and the thing I miss most is the Friday fighter meetings. I miss sitting down across the table from fighters, their trainers, their family members, uh, their supporters, and... Uh, getting their life stories and learning a little bit more about them on a personal level because it's the most psychological of, of all sports. So, yeah, I, I really, really miss sitting down with uh, fighters and their entourages on Fridays to talk about what's coming next. Uh, now, do you think, I mean, there's there's you know, some speculation out there, you, you know, you're still a young guy and, and you know, people want to hear more from you. I mean, if, you, if there was an offer out there, or I know that you're contractually obligated uh, to HBO, but if there was an offer out there, would you want to call fights again? Well, I have a producer contract at HBO. Uh, it's a, a very attractive deal. Uh, I'm still very attached to the label and the mode of storytelling uh, that we engage in at HBO. Uh, and uh, and there's a reason why they, they want to be on board. So for the time being, uh, there's no rush. Uh, I, I have plenty of time if, if down the road, something like that were to occur, I think I'll still be physically and mentally able to uh, approach it with uh, a productive point of view. But right now that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm developing documentary projects and other, uh, production ventures for HBO. What else, like what type of uh, of documentaries? I know that and a lot of people, you know, just kind of peg you as a boxing guy, but you're well more than that. If you got to talk to uh, Rinkside, is you talk? You know, I know that you love college hoops. I know you you love baseball. I know you love football. You follow all the sports. What else could we expect on the production side of things? Will it be boxing documentaries, or will you tap into some of the other stories that can be told in sports? I do have at least one boxing uh, subject that I'm that I'm uh, kind of chasing right now. Uh, I have other documentary topics that are more uh, general sports-oriented, not directly related uh, to boxing per se. I have entertainment projects that are sociological in nature. They're really 
I mean, there's one about Mexican-American immigration. There's another about uh, Holocaust reparations. Wow. Uh, and, of course, projects take years and years and years to produce. You work with writers. They're very complex. I've done it before, uh, and it was part of my portfolio at HBO, so I'm still doing that as, uh, as we go down the road. Um, and, uh, and some of these things will never come to fruition because it's the nature of a, uh, a producer's uh, quest that eventually some things don't uh, gather the momentum that you need them to gather over time to actually make it to the screen, but, but some of them will. Uh, it's just going to take months, years, constant application to get that kind of stuff done. Now, is this the longest you've you've gone without being on camera in your career? It's the longest I've gone without being on camera since September 7, 1974. Oh my goodness! Uh, that, that that was my that was the first date of a college football telecast after I was chosen by ABC Sports for a particular gimmick role, the college age reporter. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, uh, and so it's been, um, you know, 45 years since I have gone this long without standing in front of a camera or talking into a microphone. Oh, my God. So, I mean, you hear about fighters and athletes about how they acclimate after their career and a lot of people a lot of some uh, people struggle with it some people accept it look at alex rodriguez he looks like he's thoroughly enjoying life since his playing days are over how has it been for you since uh, uh december well as my wife and various of, of my friends will tell you i'm still talking <laughs> uh, it's not it's not as if i lost the capacity to jibber jabber and uh and, of course, that was part of the profile before I started uh, calling sports events and, and working on camera. So um, nothing much has changed in my behavior with regard to sports events. I mean, I was in a restaurant yesterday while uh, Michigan State was applying the finishing touches to Duke mm -hmm. in the NCAA basketball tournament. And most of the people in the restaurant seemed instinctively to understand um, – this is a guy who talks about this stuff. Uh, and so they gather around him and had to say about it. And and that was kind of gratifying. You know, <laughs> I don't know if they knew who I was or not, but I, I had an audience for the last couple of minutes as, uh, as Michigan State that is... worked to eliminate Duke from the tournament. That's hilarious. I'm just imagining you at a, like a bar and you're just holding, you're just, you know, holding the shop. Everyone's gathered around you and you're, you're giving your, your call. Uh, what do you think of uh, Zion Williamson? I mean, he's the hottest topic in sports. So first of all, my condolences to your, your Tar Heels. A great season, uh, tough performance in, in that one. But what do you think about uh, Zion now? As Everything's going to shift now to him uh, in the NBA. Hopefully he thank can you, land on my thank Knicks. Thank you for the condolences. Thank you for the condolences about the Tar Heels. Yes. I do appreciate that. Of course. Uh, I have told friends that I personally saw live way back in 1974 David Thompson and uh, Bill Walton at the peak of their college careers at North Carolina State and uh, UCLA. And then I did not see Magic live as a college player. Uh, I did watch him on TV. Uh, Magic was 40 years ago in college in 1979. Wow. I believe Zion Williams is the most dominant college player since Magic Johnson. I believe he's really, uh, he's really more dominant than any player since David Thompson and Bill Walton in uh, the early 1970s because he's even more dominant as a college player than, than Magic was. Uh, and in addition to all that, 
and you know, I don't always say this about Duke people, but I'll say this about Zion. Uh, he's a he's clearly I've not met him. I've only seen his television appearances. He's a dignified, classy, uh, sportsmanlike human being. Uh, I I see absolutely nothing to to criticize or question uh, about this young man. If that was his one year on campus at Duke. He honored the name on the front of the jersey, uh, and and I can I can see why Roy Williams wanted so badly <laughs> for him to be in North Carolina uniform. Uh, he's a he's a great great player, and I think he's going to be a tremendous player for you know if on the off accidental chance, utterly unpredictable, entirely random, but if somehow he happens to wind up as a New York Knicks, yes, I mean, do you think there's a answer that you know uh yeah i think that he's going to be a colossal yeah. uh left turn in the whole history and evolution of the knicks franchise because he's a great person and a great player yeah i know you bleed carolina blue um but the thing that and you touched on this too the thing with, with zion that makes him you know so special is that he he brought fans that hate duke and he brought them in front of their TVs, and you find yourself rooting for Duke. I found myself, I, I'm not the biggest Duke guy. I'm not, I wouldn't classify myself as a Duke hater. But there were some Duke haters out there that were tuning into these games and found themselves rooting for Duke. And I think that speaks a lot to, to what he's about. He's a player, and, and he handled this whole one-year experience brilliantly. So, uh, you know... I think he is in every way a winner. And, uh, and, and the contrast is uh, there's at least one player on that team who will roll up colossal statistics as a pro, just as he did as a college player. But I'm not certain I can yet say that he's a winner. Uh, but, but Zion Williamson absolutely is a full-on winner, top to bottom. I can see you calling NBA uh, – uh, not NBA. I can see you calling March Madness and getting very excitable, maybe throwing out a few bangs there as, as Zion drives down the lane. Could you ever venture into other sports? I know like right now you're, you're kind of on – I'm not going to say sidelines, but you're on the sidelines. Would you ever think about you know, getting into other sports? You know, I always thought that I knew – being a Tar Heel – I always thought that I knew as much about college basketball as any sport and as much about college basketball as anyone alive. But uh, way back in the late 1980s, right after I left ABC, when I was working for CBS and later NBC, I had some opportunities to call basketball, and I wasn't that good. Uh, I, I really was not nearly as good at that as I had expected to be. Uh, now, over a period of time, if I had gotten a lot more chances, if I had you know, been assigned uh, to do it as a gig for some series, I'm sure that I could have rounded it out and, and done reasonably well. But on those occasions when I sat in front of a microphone and called college basketball games and NBA games back in the 1980s, uh, I listened to those tapes and thought, you know what, you're not really that great. Uh, and, and so I think at the end of the day, Boxing turned out to be the, the better area for me. Now, looking back, I know in the heat of it, when the announcement happened with HBO, uh, you did a great job of, of kind of summing up the last 25 years, if that's even possible. Uh, and at the dinner with HBO, we, we, you had a great speech, and then you made some other speeches. Uh, but now that you've had a few months to kind of look back, do you find yourself looking back on, the, on those 25 years at HBO or 25 years plus at HBO? Do you find yourself looking back? 
and kind of uh, be more reflective than you were, say, in the in the moment in December? Sure, and and I think I was an incredibly lucky guy. I think I I had the opportunity to portray um, something of a golden era. Uh, I mean, that my my entry into the sport of boxing as a boxing commentator coincided with the rise of Mike Tyson. It was really about the rise of Mike Tyson. I called his first several exposures uh, on ABC. When I moved ultimately from ABC to HBO, it was for the purpose of following Mike. And within a couple of years after that, um, Oscar De La Hoya graduated from the Olympics. And, uh, and so for a long period of time, HBO's franchise centered around the whole heavyweight ethos of Tyson, Holyfield, and Lewis. And as you know, that's one of the greatest heavyweight eras in the history of the sport. Uh, and then the, the non-heavyweight culture that's centered around Oscar De La Hoya, Roy Jones, uh, eventually Felix Trinidad, eventually the three Mexican featherweight stars, etc. cetera, uh, and then the rise of Manny Pacquiao. All of that happens on my watch. <laughs> Uh, I think I was very, very lucky to, to be in that situation. It'll be interesting to see if current stars can come off the page in such a way as to provide another era as colorful and meaningful boxing as that period of time was. But right now, uh, I think that it, it's almost as though there are too many of them. Yeah. The situation is too undefined. And, of course, Americans... Americans are still grappling to get their heads around a world largely dominated by Eastern Europeans performing on American soil. Fine with me. I had no problem with it. I enjoyed the moment of it. But I know that there are some fans who don't love it as much as they love the idea of uh, Roy Jones fighting against another American opponent. Right. Another thing, too, it, it makes it tough is, is all these broadcasting uh, entities now. HBO, out of, obviously, out of the picture. Now you got, you got Showtime. you got Fox. You got the zone. You got ESPN. You got four de facto leagues right now that all have to make good on their investments. That means that there is a lot of fights that are happening within their own rosters. Eventually, those fights are all going to dry up, and they're going to have to do business with other entities. But that's not going to happen anytime soon. That's another thing that's kind of holding back the sport right now. Do you agree with that? Well, yes. I mean, people asked me at the time that HBO left the sport behind why in the world is this happening and i said if you look at the business landscape you will see that borders are going up and and they are separating fighters rather than bringing them together it's going to be at least in this current uh period of time it's harder and harder to make the really good fights between big name fighters I mean, we had a perfect example of something that that aimed at it but kind of missed in the mikey garcia versus errol spence matchup you know, here are two fighters with separate promotional setups who crossed the line and fought against each other, but at the end of the day, it wasn't a competitive fight. Mm -hmm. And most people knew going in that it was not going to be uh, a competitive fight. So that's not exactly what you're looking for. And, uh, and right, you're correct that we don't yet have exactly what we're looking for in terms of crossing borders and bringing fighters together uh, from different business pods to fight each other. A lot of things going on in the world of boxing. Jim Lampley, I, I said this in the open. I'm going to say it again. I know for a fact that boxing fans, they, you are missed. They miss hearing you uh, on Saturday nights or Friday nights, whenever the fights would happen on HBO. You're uh, sorely missed, 
and hopefully we hear you again on a big call because I think the fans want it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, being at ringside as a fan or maybe someday uh, as a broadcaster, if that were ever to happen, but I don't govern that. Uh, I'm just I'm just grateful for all the tremendous years I had and great to talk to you. And we're still going to send you CompuBox uh, research notes, okay? Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> all right, Jim, take care. All right, bye-bye.